welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Good morning again. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, if you have your Bibles with you, Acts chapter 6. And I just want to say, uh, Jessica and I missed being here with you guys last week. You have no idea how much I prayed for you guys as you were here. I knew that we were leaving you in good hands. Did you guys like Brother Tyler? I heard lots and lots of compliments on him. I have ultimate faith in him. And of course, um, if you've been here very long, you know his wife Destiny grew up in this church. Very precious to us. But we did miss y'all and we appreciate letting us get away and, and refresh ourselves. But we wanted to be here. We are starting a new sermon series today called Ordinary. But before we start this morning, I've just had this on my heart to share with you to, to uh, maybe remind us of today is um, if you come on Wednesday nights to our soap studies, there's something I say about every other week that I love about our soap studies. By the way, if you don't come on Wednesday nights, you are missing a blessing. It is awesome to get to dig into God's Word together. But what, I, but I, what I'm always reminded of on Wednesday nights is as we open up God's Word, how much that we as a church apply this to ourselves. When we open up our studies and we say, what did you feel about this? Everybody always says, oh, that's pointed at me. God, God is saying, I need to be better at this. God is reminding me not to fail here. And I don't know why. It's not that I see this as a problem in our church, but I've just had it on my mind to remind us today that as we dive into Scripture, as we dive into the Word, I, I hope with nothing or with everything that I have that nothing is more important to us is that when we open the Scripture that we apply it to ourselves and not somebody else that we know. It's so easy to come to church and say, oh, I wish so-and-so had been here. I wish my kid could have heard this. I wish that person three pews behind me was listening really good. But, but if we come here, we come here to be transformed by the Word of God. And I just want to remind you and encourage you today that not only through this sermon series, but all the time, that as we go into God's Word, that I'm coming here, I come here, pastor come here, I come here hoping that this, this Word changes me. And I just want to encourage you to keep that at the forefront of your mind, that if you're here this morning, God, God sent this message to you as a reminder or an encouragement to you. So just, I don't know why that was on my heart, but it just was to share with us today. And when we will start our new series, we're going to start a series called Ordinary. And I wanted to go into this series, not necessarily for the idea of, of what the, uh, the, uh, the title was, but because I wanted to address this one particular part of Scripture. I felt led to, I prayed over it, to address Acts 6, 7, and probably a little bit of chapter 8, and talk about the, some individuals in the early church. And I think what we do is we forget what ordinary means. Ordinary means regular. It means like everybody else. It means pretty much everybody. And sometimes we forget that, that we are ordinary and we have this bad habit of making, uh, of believing that other people aren't ordinary. But if ordinary and regular means most people, that means most people. To give you this example, Zach Galifianakis, I got a, a picture coming up here. I don't know if I said his name right and he can get over it if I didn't. He had a, um, he, there he is. He had a, um, um, a comedy show called Between Two Ferns. And what he did is he did these mock interviews with different people. And his career eventually began to climb a hill. He got the opportunity to interview a sitting president. Now, it's kind of interesting to see a comedian go into the president and shush him. He literally shushed the sitting president during this. But he did this comedy interview with President Obama. They talked about some things. He, you know, quickly packed up his stuff and left the inner house, or the inner house, the White House, making sure that, you know, he had all this recorded and put it out. After the episode aired and people got to see this, uh, this mock interview, this comedy interview, he received a phone call 
on his personal cell phone and answering the call he heard President Obama's voice. Now you've got to imagine how crazy it is even if you've interviewed the president to get a personal cell phone call from the President of the United States of America. He said he was just in awe. And in an interview later where he talked about this he said the strangest thing was President Obama talked to me and he ended the call like this. He said okay I'll see you later brother. That's how the President of the United States ended the phone call and hung up. He said he was just in shock. You don't expect the President of the United States to end a conversation that way. That's like how I would talk to you guys. I'll see you later brother. See you later sister. But what we forget when we talk about presidents or people of prominence or movie stars or Bible characters, we forget that they're just, they're just people. They're ordinary. They're like you and me. And we're going to be looking at the story of the early church. And I think we forget that the people of the early church, they were just ordinary people. They were just regular people. And we, we look through the uh, book of Acts. If you've never read the book of Acts, it, it's, it's phenomenal. It's entertaining. It's like one of those can't put down kind of novels. It, it tells us about the, the story of the early church and the early Christians and what they're doing. And they're building disciples at a crazy rate. Their leaders are preaching sermons where thousands, I'm not exaggerating, thousands of people are coming and giving their life to Christ after one sermon. They're performing miracles out in the world. In the book of Acts, these people are being broke out of jail by angels. And we tend to forget that these people are just ordinary people. We look at them and go, wow, God... God did something in them, but I don't know if he would do that today. And I want to be clear, God worked in a different way in Acts than he works now. But they were just regular people. There was nothing special about them. There, there was nothing different about them. They were ordinary people, but with God's power. And that's what I want to focus on in this series, is ordinary people like us and what God's power can do. If you've got your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 6. This is verse 1 of this story. In, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring, everybody underline that word, a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now keep your Bibles open if you've got it. We're going to come back to this here in a second, but I want to address verse 1. Verse 1 tells us about an issue in the church, and that, that issue is that word murmuring. We might say like grumbling. That within the church there was a grumbling over some issues, a, a general unhappiness, and, and what this means is there were secret conversations. It's those conversations you have with people that were close to you when you're like, did you like, did you like what the Sunday school teacher said today? Did you like how, how service went today? Did you notice what so-and-so did? Like, that, that's the kind of things going on in the church, the same kind of things that go on today. And if you want to know the number one way that we know that the early church was ordinary, we know they were ordinary because they had a get-along problem. They had differences within them, and they sometimes caused conflict and diver, or, um, division within the body. And so we know that that's normal. But to me, it seems amazing that they would see God work in these ways. I mean, I'm not joking when I say angels are breaking disciples out of prison. That's in the book of Acts. That really, really happened. And they see God work in all of these ways. And suddenly now we've got fights between two groups of people in the church. We've got murmurings and division and unhappiness. There is no time stamp on, the, on Acts chapter 6, but given other context clues within the book of Acts, one scholar believes that this was a mere 18 months after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. One and a half years after seeing a man who claimed to be God come back to life on his own, and now they're getting stuck fighting and having divisions in the church, mumbling and grumbling against each other, even with everything God is doing. 
And this is ordinary. I think that this is, this is encouraging to me. Because when I look at, at problems sometimes we have in modern day churches and you think, well, is God really working here? Are we really doing what God wants us to do? I see that it was happening only a year and a half after Jesus Christ left. It was happening in the early church. It was happening in people who saw feats and miracles manifested in a way that you and I never will. But it's ordinary and we are no different. Our first take-home truth is this, is ordinary people, even ordinary Christians, sometimes deal with conflict. And you'll hear people say that it should never be that way. And I agree, it should never be that way. But it is. No, not a person in here can say, oh, I went through the past two years and I've never had a conflict or a disagreement with anybody. Some of you can't say that this morning. We have conflict. It is an ordinary and a normal part of being a person, even if we're Christians, and that is fine. But the question is not, do we have conflict? The question is, how do we handle conflict? How do we handle divisions and how do we handle differences of opinion within the church? And this issue was a big issue. This was not a little small issue that might have caused a stir. This was a big issue is that within two groups of people, one group of people said, our widows are being neglected. That, that some people in the church are being taken care of and being cared for, but our widows are not being taken care of like those other widows are. Now that's important in the early church because in the early, or at the time of the early church, women really had three options once they left the household of their parents. Number one, they could get married and their husband could take care of them. If their husband was to pass away and they had male children, their male children could take care of them. That was option number one. If, if anything went wrong with that scenario, the only two options women had to turn to were prostitution and begging on street corners. Women couldn't get jobs. Women couldn't work. Women couldn't own property. They were just in trouble. And so the being, uh, widows being neglected was a huge, huge deal in the early church. And one that the Jews often um, in temple would take care of. And one that the early Christians were taking care of. That widows within the church were protected and cared for by the church, by the church members. And for whatever reason, we have a group of widows. If you see me blinking up here, I've got new contacts. I can't see anything. <laughs> Sometimes you guys just go blurry for a second and it, it, it catches me off guard. Uh, where was I? Widows. Okay, so some of these widows within the church, some of these widows within the church were being neglected. But I want you to notice something, that this was within the lines of different groups of people. It wasn't just that some widows were and some others were oversight. It was that there was a group of widows that were in this group that were being taken care of, and there was a second group that was in this group of people that were not being taken care of the same way. Those two groups of people are the Grecians, so you, your Bible may say the Hellenistic Jews, or the Hebrews. Those are the two groups of people that we have here. Now notice that they're all Jews, but they have some differences within them. They're all Jews and they're all Christians. Now, Grecian Jews or Hellenistic Jews, these were Jews that had lived dispersed. They had been put throughout different kingdoms over history. They lived in different parts of mainly Europe and they had lived in the Roman Empire and within Greek culture. Because of that, they were less religiously strict. They were, uh, they were uh, people who spoke Greek. Some aspects of Greek culture was part of their culture at this point. It had just kind of assimilated to it. And they didn't do all of the religion that maybe the Hebrews did. Now, let me say, they weren't wrong. They just didn't do all of the traditional stuff. They were still followers of God as Jews and then as they became Christians. The other group of people that is mentioned here is the Hebrews. And the Hebrews are the Jews that had lived in Israel. And if you 
spend much time studying your Bible, you know that God put Israel, this land in the Middle East, and it was a place where his people were protected and were supposed to be cut off, and they would resist people of other cultures coming into their country. And so what we have is two groups of people here. One of them, the Greshans, are less religiously strict. The Hebrews are more religiously strict. Every boy within Hebrew culture would be educated in Judaism and within uh, the traditions of Judaism. And these two groups were somewhat suspicious of each other. They were, they were all the same faith. They were all the same belief. But they saw religion differently. They saw how to handle religious religion differently. And they both thought the other one was wrong. And so you already have this pre-existing possible conflict between the Grecian Jews and the Hebrew Jews based on just the fact that they're different than each other. You might put it this way. You had one group who was more traditional and one group who was less traditional. And both of them thought the other one was wrong. I'm so glad we never have that in churches today. I can't even keep a straight face. Does that sound a little familiar sometimes in church culture? That there are some of us within a church, within our church, that maybe we've been a Christian for a long time, we've been going to church for a long time, and, and we see church and what we expect church to be in a very traditional manner. There are some things that aren't right, they're not wrong, but that's just what we have always done, and we just believe that's the way it should be done. And yet within the same church, you'll have another group of people, we might call them less traditional, we might call them contemporary, who say, I have a strong faith in God, I believe in God, but maybe they have some different experiences, and they see church culture a little less traditionally of what we should have. And this is, once again, this is encouraging because the same problems that are in churches today were in churches back then. And it's very important to look at this. You see, this goes back nearly all the way to Jesus, these disagreements and divisions over culture, not over doctrine, over culture. And this early church overcame these issues. This early church figured out a way to come together, two groups of different people, and to figure out their problems and to move forward. Now, we're going to talk about how they did that, but before we go there, I want to just notice something that we see is when did this problem start? Go ahead. You've got your Bibles open. Go ahead and look at verse 1. See if you can identify. When did the problem start? And do not say Acts 6. That's not the answer. Let, let, me, let me read it to you. And in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied. When the number of disciples was multiplied. This is when the problem starts. When the number of disciples are multiplied. If you look back in the previous chapters, we see thousands, literally thousands of people coming to Christ. And this is when we start to see disagreement and division within the church is when God is doing work. Is that a coincidence? I don't believe in coincidence. I don't believe that was a coincidence. See, the Bible tells us of a spiritual being who is evil in nature, and it says he is like a lion, and he prowls around in the shadows, and he looks for things to destroy. Since the beginning of time, he has been opposing God, opposing God's work. He creeps around looking to destroy what God has created good. He was in the Garden of Eden. He destroyed the relationship between man and God. He was at the cross of Christ celebrating because he thought he had killed God, and now he's in the early church creating division, trying to get factions to grumble against each other in order to destroy them. So I see a couple of warnings in the timing of when this happens. It's not just that there was, in fact, some kind of disagreement in church. I think there's a warning here is that division in churches seems to start, seems to start when God's working and there's a spiritual push behind it. 
that, that when good things happen in a church, when God is working, Satan is going to start to work to change it. He thought he had won when he killed Christ. He thought he had won when he persecuted the early church. And when that didn't work, he started working from within in different groups of people, telling them they were different and that they should fight and that they should not be one. Satan works. So I think the warning here is that attacks come when God is working. Now, this is important because I believe with all my heart that God is working in this church. I believe it with all my heart that God is working on people to bring them to Christ at this exact moment within our church. I believe that God has special plans for us in the coming years. And so I take this warning very seriously when it says that possibly, possibly we need to be look on the lookout for the lion prowling around trying to destroy us. Secondly, I think this gives us a warning to be careful of trying to fall into a trap because it may be more than your opinion. When, when, when we're upset and when we're distressed, when we have division in our church, it may be more than just I disagree with it. It may be that we are secretly being used to destroy something that God has made beautiful and is trying to make beautiful. And I think that we need to be willing to navigate the problems like the apostles did. And if you want to read with me, we're back in Acts chapter 6. Let's, let's just read how the apostles navigated this problem with grumbling within the church. Then the twelve, that's the apostles, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Leave your Bibles open again. We're coming back to it here in a second. I love, love the wisdom of the twelve. It's the kind of wisdom that can only come from being closely connected to Christ for a very long time. See, what's important to understand is that almost all of these 12, they would have been considered in that Hebrew group. And, and so this, this rambling, or I'm sorry, not this rambling, this murmuring, this grumbling that's going on within the church is actually against the disciples. It's against the apostles, rather. It's against them. People are talking bad about them. They are leaving us out. But the wisdom of the apostles was not just to say, well, they can just deal with it. Now people just get mad. The wisdom of them was, we need to address this. We need to take care of this. Even though it's people from a different group than us, even though it's people that see things different than us, even though it's people that are upset with us. And so they listened to members of an opposite faction. Can, can you say that, that that would be in your heart if there was a change in the church that, that you just didn't like? you thought was bad? Can you say that your initial reaction would be like, I, I need to sit down and talk with somebody who's, who's opposite-minded to me and see how they feel? Or a change in the church that you think is good, but there are people opposing it, and you say, I, I would love to sit down and, and hear what they say. That's, that's what the apostles did. They, they sit down with people, and they said, there's an issue in our church that's causing division. Let's sit down and talk about it. I want to hear your problems and I want to address it so that you are served the way that you should be. Our second take-home truth is this, is conflicts are settled when we value and love those that are different than us. Now see, this is where, this is where the Bible starts to change these ordinary people. They're ordinary people, they're regular people, but now they're not behaving in an ordinary way. It's not within us by ourselves to love people that are different than us. It's not within us to want to sit down and say, let me hear the words of someone who is attacking me. And this is proof. This is proof that God is working within the church and within these apostles and within these disciples. That they can do something as ordinary people that ordinary people shouldn't be able to do. That they can love their enemies. 
So as we look at this, we see what the, uh, the plan they came up with is they sat down with these people. They listened to their problems and said, okay, here's how we're going to address this. Go find you some men and we will appoint them to be over this business. We will appoint them to take care of this problem because it, it needs to be taken care of. And in this, they say this to the group of people that are grumbling. And what they're actually saying is find some people of your background for us to put in power. When you look at this, this list of uh, names in verse 5 or 6 of the seven men that are chosen, every last one of them is a Greek name. The, the apostles had this group of people pick people from the Grecians, from the Hellenistic Jews, from the faction that felt left out and said, even though they're different than us, even though they view some of this religion a little bit different than us, let's put them in power and allow them, <clears throat> allow them into leadership positions where they can fix this. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that within a church? We're having a good old-fashioned Baptist business meeting fight. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about. And, and, we're, and we're, we're distressed over the color of the carpet because that's the joke that goes around. And old brother John, old brother John is the leader of the blue carpet faction. And, and he stands up in a church in the middle of this business meeting when there's murmuring and grumbling going around. He says, I have a solution. I want you to put old brother George in charge of this, even though he is the leader of the opposite faction. Give him a leadership position so that he and his people can feel like they are being addressed and taken care of and loved. I value them more. I want to hear what they say. And that's what the apostles did. That's not ordinary, but listen to me. This is what it means to be a Christian, to act in a way that is not normal for us, to love in a way that makes us forget about ourselves and put others' needs in front of us. See, the apostles mastered... See, I told you Satan was running around in here. The apostles mastered something that modern scholars call unity in diversity. That's your next take-home truth. Unity in diversity. I want you to underline that, highlight it, write it down, whatever. It's very, very important. Unity in diversity. And at, fa at first, unity in diversity, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. How can I be unified and be different? How can we be the same and yet be different? Those are, those are not the same thing. They, they can't possibly be the same. But when you put the power of God within ordinary people, it becomes possible. As a matter of fact, the Bible promises us, and not, not just, hey, there were some differences in a church here. The, the Bible promises us that we are different, that everybody in here has different talents and different views, and because of that, different passions for sharing the gospel with him, and it says they're all welcome and they're all useful for him in, in his church. Everybody Everybody can be unified in their differences. The question is how? How do we unify in diversity? How do I take somebody who's different than me and become one organism, become a church with them? First step is this on your take-home truth, is that we are unified around faith and mission. Unified around faith and mission. See, we, we are placed here together for one reason and one reason alone. Because we have found the God of the universe and we engage in a personal, daily relationship with him. And if we have nothing else in common, that's a big thing to have in common. For thousands of years, people have wanted relationships with what they think is God. And you and I have it. And not just some religion. I talk to him. What, he talks with me and he walks with me. Isn't that the song? That's not the song we sang this morning. That's what I was thinking of. What a friend we have in Jesus is what I was thinking of. 
That, that happens daily for me and it happens daily for you. And we're unified around the fact that in this church that we know that that is the main thing, that we have faith. And with that faith comes a mission to spread and build the kingdom of God in this world. That's number one. My opinions, my wants, my desires, they're not even number two through 28. That's number one, and there is nothing else that should unify us except for our mutual love of Christ and our belief that we are put together to accomplish a mission together. Number two is we're unified around the idea of serving the needs of those who are different than us. That means that when we come here, we don't come here for us. Maybe this is why I felt the need to say that at the, at the beginning. You, you're not here for you. You're not here for what you can get. You're here for what you can give to others. You're here for how you can serve others. You're here for how you can serve God. We come here putting others' needs above ourselves. And if we can do those two things, unify around our faith and mission and unify around serving others inside and out of the church, we can be unified in diversity. And that was the plan the entire time. Jesus' plan was this, to take people of different races and different ages and different nationalities and different cultural backgrounds, different languages, desires, personalities, make them brothers and sisters in Christ, unify them around faith in a belief that we are here to serve those different than us, and he would call it the church. That was always the plan, is that different people would come together unified by our mutual love for Christ. And that's not ordinary. It's not ordinary to put people with all of these differences in the same building or the same organization and for them to get along. And it becomes a draw to Christ when people see that we handle things differently than the world. I love this quote by Mark Clifton. Uh, Mark Clifton the opportunity to work through challenges in interpersonal relationships is an opportunity to display to the world that the church operates on a different kind of system of the world. And we can, through the grace of Christ, work through these problems together. See, what this tells us is, is when that, that lion comes prowling around and he tries to destroy a church from within, this thing that was meant to destroy becomes an opportunity for us to showcase our faith to the world because we're going to behave in a way that is not ordinary. We're not going to fight over what we want or what we think is best. We're not going to attack each other when we're different or we disagree. We're going to sit down, we're going to love each other, we're going to serve each other, and we're going to keep our mission first. That is not ordinary. But ordinary people can do it with God's power. Now, this is what the disciples did as they, as they sat down and they established these seven men of a different culture than them. They put them in a leadership position. They listened to the needs of others who differed from them. And I want you to look at what happened afterwards. Go ahead and skip to verse seven. And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Listen, when the disciples handled this in an unordinary way with God's power, when there was division in the church, it actually helped them accomplish their mission. It actually helped them grow. And that's what we need to think of as we handle conflict within the church and within relationships within the church. It's more than right or wrong. It's key to accomplishing our mission you know, the mission I put up on the screens every week that we remind ourselves of, we believe it's so important, we want it to be the last thing on our minds as we walk out of here, is we handle conflict in a way that gives us the ability to accomplish that mission to the world, that gives us the ability to show Christ to the world, to make disciples 
to be obedient to him, to grow people, to see salvations and see God's church grow. Handling our conflict in that way gives us the power, gives us the ability to accomplish that mission. But it's not us. It's God's power within us. We're going to continue to study later on in this series. We're going to continue to study specifically one of these men named Stephen. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week. But, but Stephen is, is a man full of grace, and he's full of faith, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And, and he does amazing things in the next several chapters. But the only difference, the only difference between these ordinary people and me, the only difference between these ordinary people and every other human in the world is, is not that they're special. It's God's power within them. And, and that power is available to everybody in this room today. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it lives in me. When we become Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Ms. Glenita, that was, not a, that was not a coincidence that you sang that song this morning. We become sanctuaries for the Holy Spirit. And that power lives within us and it begins to shape us and change us. And it is available to everybody, everybody who puts their faith in Christ. Because you know what God is looking for? God is not looking for spiritual giants who have lived a perfect life. God is looking for ordinary people. God is looking for people who've made ordinary mistakes, God is looking for people who deal with ordinary sins. And God is looking to do something with his power in them that makes them extraordinary. And I hate to tell you, Liv, if you want to come up here. I hate to tell you, you are more ordinary than you think you are. Gee, what a way to end a sermon, Brian. You are. I, I, I don't care what your mama told you. You're ordinary. I don't care how many world's best dads mugs you have, you're ordinary. You're just like everybody else. And just like every other person's ever walked this face of the earth, every person in here, including me, needs a savior. And Jesus Christ came to this world and he gave his life for ordinary people, not special people, not people who do everything right, but people, people who needed him because ordinary people are imperfect. This morning I want to tell you that you get to Christ through faith. And that's all it takes is putting your faith in Him and, and following Him and allowing Him to work in you. And, and if you haven't made that decision yet, I'm going to tell you, today is the day. Now notice I didn't say somebody who had been to church. I didn't say somebody who read a Bible. I didn't say somebody who prayed a prayer when things got tough. I said ordinary people who live ordinary lives and we all need Christ. If you haven't received that, today is your day to come and be a Christian. I'll be here to pray with you. I love you. I'd love to tell you more about it personally, but this is open to you this morning.